0: You're listening to episode 149 of the Well Woman podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in and taking the time to be with us here today. You were listening to the episode all about male fertility, sperm health and male birth control. Yes, we are getting into this topic. You've probably known that over a number of episodes, we've talked about ovulation for females, fertility health for females, natural contraceptive methods for females, hormonal contraceptive methods for females. But what about the males? For this episode, I am joined by beautiful guest Maddie Miles. Maddie is the founder of Peace Love Hormones, and her mission is to end period stigma and to uplift and empower menstruators to take back control of their menstrual health through education and top quality, functional supplements. You can go and check her out over on Instagram whilst we're chatting. Her account is The Maddie with an IE Miles. So The Maddie Miles. Make sure you go and check her out there. Our conversation today goes really deep into male fertility and responsibilities and contraception and healthy sex. All those topics are covered here. So we kick it off by talking about how a male's cycle is actually different to a woman's cycle. And do males even have a cycle? We talk about the natural cycles of the body, including the circadian rhythm. We touch on male's responsibility with contraception and why this is actually just as as responsible as female's responsibility. We chat about reproduction, the red and white moon cycles for women, We also talk about sperm health, what is sperm health, the stats on sperm health, the stats on pre-cum, and then we chat about male birth control and what options are out there for male birth control. And of course, Maddie shares with us three beautiful things that she wished she knew when she was a young menstruator. So I hope you enjoy this episode as much as we did recording it. Um, Maddie is an absolutely beautiful soul, and I'm really looking forward to you diving in. So let's get into it. Have you heard? We officially have launched a brand new Well Women Academy. Yep, today's show is sponsored by this new signature membership program, the Well Woman Academy. Would you love to discover your own menstrual cycle, understand ovulation, master menstruation, and live cyclically? Well, your menstrual cycle membership is officially here. The Wellwoman Academy is a monthly membership where together we study things like menstrual cycles, cycle tracking, cycle rituals, contraception, the feminine, eating and moving for your cycle, and so much more. It's the number one place to discover how to end cycle signs and PMS for good. For less than $2 a day, each month you'll receive access to over 150 live recorded classes and cycle-specific learning modules across a wide range of formats like written, audio, video, and home study. Not to mention, every single membership gives back with menstrual cups to menstruators in need, thanks to our commitment with the COVID project. Join me and hundreds of women from all over the world inside our private Facebook community and online learning portal, as together we awaken our cycle, reconnect our bodies, and guide you to live in cyclical harmony. Learn more and join us at www.welsom.com forward slash academy. Maddie, welcome to the show.
1: Hello. thank you so so much for having me. I am so incredibly excited. I love podcasts. I love I have my own. I've been on a bunch of other people's podcasts and it never gets old. So thank you so much for having me. What we're gonna talk about today too is going to be super juicy and interesting. definitely out of the out of like the ordinary for normal hormone related podcasts. So I'm excited
0: fantastic me too I think this is a really important topic that we're going to be chatting about and I couldn't have thought of a better person to ask after I saw that you posted about it on Instagram I'm like oh Maddie's going to talk with me about this I just know it I have to ask yeah thank you for being here now let's jump into getting to know you a little bit better before we jump into the topic tell us what day of recycle you on and how are you checking in in this moment how are you feeling
1: yes I'm on day four and um so you know I'm definitely feeling a little tired, and you know why, Um, because not only are my hormones at their lowest, but also I was up much later than i normally stay up last night i'm usually in bed by 9 30 or 10 p.m and your girl was awake until 2 30 in the morning so um and i have this like, internal clock that just gets me up like early hours i think i slept until 8 50 this morning which yes for anyone listening is probably like you're crazy that's sleeping in but it actually is sleeping in for me 8 50 in the morning um so I'm feeling a little bit sleepier today than I than I normally would because of that, which just goes to show we always have to be listening to our body, you know, outside of just tracking our cycle and understanding why we're feeling, how we're feeling because of the, you know, the phase or the day of our cycle that we're in. Um, you know, we also have so much going on in our everyday lives that impacts how we feel impacts our hormone production as well, whether it be, you know, a stressful week at work, a stressful week in school, stressful week because you stayed up late with friends, which is, you know, so much fun. Um, but it is a form of stress in the body. So that's how I'm feeling right now. I am feeling very like creative though, and then I want to start planning things out. Um, which, you know, it's uh I have a whole podcast episode actually on this about like planning your business around your menstrual cycle. And who I brought on the podcast to talk about it with, she uh She was saying that she actually really likes to do all that like follicular phase brainstorming during her period. And I was like, hmm, that's interesting. so I actually noticed that towards the end of uh, my menstrual phase, I do start to get that desire to like, let's start planning things out, you know, like what do we want to do over the next few weeks in terms of travel, in terms of business, like social outings. Uh, So that's where I'm at today.
0: I love it. Cycle day four. That'll be me in roughly like a week and a half time. I'm like leading in towards the end of my cycle. Um, Thank you for sharing. Yes. Like sinking your life and your cycle, your business is transformative. Um, Now tell us, how did you get into this world of hormones and menstrual cycles?
1: Yeah. So
0: like, what is it that you do? Tell us.
1: Yes. Okay. So I, a bunch of things. It's so funny. I, I'm still working on my elevator pitch, but uh, and it's it's not going well. It takes a, a while for me to explain what I do. But um, you know, simply put. I'm an integrative health practitioner. I decided to, uh, my area of focus in school was the female reproductive system. Um, So, you know, I'm known as on social media, the hormone guru. I really love and am inspired by just the female body, especially when we are in our reproductive years and um, what we know as the menstrual cycle. I'm just infatuated by it. I love educating on it, Um, learning more and more every single day. It's always, we're always learning because, you know, um, there's only so much research out there around the female body and most of research up until very, very recently has only been done on males. So it's a never ending journey. I'm still learning every day, but, um, you know, in terms of licenses, I am an integrated health practitioner. I am a female hormone expert. And I'm also an herbalist. I have my own herbal supplement, which hopefully soon, within you know the next few years, it's just going to be this whole entire herbal line, of um, you know just. I'm a huge believer in herbal medicine. It's really been transformative um, for my own life. And so just to have an entire line of things, you know, PCOS, uh, herbal tinctures, endometriosis, thyroid, all of the above. So right now mine is for PMS. Um, And so what got me into this? Great question. It was really just hitting rock bottom with my own health. I mean, I have been through the ringer with Western medicine and, you know, have my own thoughts and opinions on it, but I had an eating disorder. Um, anxiety, panic disorder, depression. I was just diagnosed with all of these names, Um, you know, from the time I was about in fifth grade and really, really struggled on and off uh, throughout senior year of college until senior year of college. We finally was like, okay, the hospitalizations have not worked, you know, the feeding tubes, all this stuff. She keeps relapsing. Something's not sticking. And so we found this amazing integrative clinic in Chicago, which is where I was uh, raised And that was the first time I was introduced um, to food as medicine. And again, given this was me being like eight years, seeing the top, you know, I'm air quoting top, you know, medical specialist in all of Chicago and no one addressed food as medicine. No one addressed, you know, the imbalances that could have been going on within my body on a nutrient and hormone level, um, that would be, that would be causing the anxiety and the, the insomnia and the eating disorder. So, um, you know, that was the first time we really looked at the body as a whole, the body and the mind. And so I started doing so much learning. So much learning in terms of like healing my own body, just learning about the body in general, bio-individuality, which is this term that just means like every single body is so different, um, which is why I love Ayurvedic medicine because, you know, that's bio bio-individuality at its prime, Um, you know, but also I was studying dietetics and nutrition in undergrad. And so it was really interesting because I got to see Western medicine, both in like the textbook format, you know, like in school. And then I also got to see it firsthand for, you know, six years trying to heal all of these, you know, diseases um, that I was suffering from And, you know, so I got to see it firsthand. And then I also got to experience the, you know, more naturopathic integrative method as well. And I was just so inspired by it. I mean, I remember it was really like sophomore year of college. I actually contracted Lyme's disease. I got bit by a tick while hiking in Colorado. And we used a complete herbal protocol for four months to eradicate it, or at least it's dormant. You know, it's like it doesn't show up on my. On my labs anymore. So, um, that was when I, I was really opened, uh, up to herbs and yeah, it, it was, it's just been a long journey. I mean, like, it's a, you're always optimizing. That's the thing with health, you know, it's never like you just make it and you're like, okay, I'm done. It's like, we're always optimizing. You're always learning new things. There's always new research coming out, um, to analyze and to see if it, you know, works for you. So, uh, that's where I'm at right now. And like I said, I, you know, I'm the founder of peace, love hormones. And so that's my baby. And it's really just educating and empowering menstruators. Um, you know, gosh, I didn't even talk about the hormone part really. I mean, I, uh, on hormonal birth control when I was in high school was on that for about six years. And so even when I did the bulk of my healing with this integrative clinic, and I was feeling so much better in so many ways, but, you know, I was still, I had like no libido. I still had sleep issues and, you know, there's still things going on. I still didn't feel fantastic. And, you know, I, At that point, I was like, there's no Advil in the house. Like, we are doing everything natural. You know, (laughs) if I'm in pain, we have the CBD. Like, you know, I was very, very uh, natural at that point, I would say. Um, But I was still taking birth control. So, you know, considering that I was still experiencing, you know, all of those symptoms, I started to do my research into hormonal birth control. I went into my integrative program as well after undergrad. And I just, my mind was opened up a whole new world all about, you know, the female reproductive system, how little education there is around it. Um, in med- in traditional medical school, hence why, you know, we're not, we walk into our doctor's offices and we're not really told any of this stuff. And so, I mean, I, my passion for this realm comes from like so many different facets and, you know, I, I got off birth control, I healed my body and it was a tough transition. And, you know, I didn't have any of the crazy post birth control syndromes symptoms like the. Uh like the, the acne or the weight gain or anything that a lot of people experience. Um, but that's because I really had to do the work. You know, I didn't just cut it cold turkey and was like, all right, fingers crossed. You know, like it was a serious, it's a serious medication that I was on for a really long time. And, you know, there's just not education around it. Uh, you know, when we're hopping on birth control, if we choose to do so. And it's like, how can we decide if that's the best option for us if we don't even know what it does to us, you know? So that's really where like my, position lies as like a leader in this community of like, just, you know, as taboo and uncomfortable as these topics can be, they're not for me, but I know that they can be for other people. It's like, let's talk about this. Um, let's talk about sex. Let's talk about pleasure. Let's talk about hormonal birth control. Let's talk about other ways that you can prevent pregnancy um, if you choose to, you know, be sexually active and you don't want to get pregnant. So, you know, like that's just where, that's that's my jam. It's uh, my favorite thing ever. And I feel grateful every single day that this is like,
0: this is my job. <laughs> I love it thank you so much for sharing I can definitely resonate with you on the journey and how it takes you know somewhat of a personal experience to kind of propel you forward into you know the, the, the journey of learning about this and maybe end up working in the field which is what it is that you're now doing so I love that um, birth control that's a whole another topic that we could talk about um, having both been not you know having those experiences but let's talk about a little bit of a different version of birth control today um male fertility i think it's often missed out or forgotten about especially when there's women who are learning about fam so fertility awareness method or natural fertility education and awareness and you know it takes two to tango when when, when you're making a baby and so if you're avoiding you know conception in any form it's normally because you're in a heterosexual sexual experience so When there's penis and vagina, that's what they're designed to do. So how do we like stop that from happening? And so I think that even though we've discussed in many other episodes around female contraception and natural contraceptives at that method, but also males have a part in this too. And so what is it that they can do and how can they understand their own reproductive system? So let's dive into that topic. I'd love to understand. Let's start with how do male cycles differ from a woman's cycle? So born male to born woman.
1: Totally. Totally. So, um, yeah, we'll just, you know, we'll just get right into it and kind of just talk about like the the overview of the basics, a very like almost like elementary, uh, level of this, but so we all have, um, we all have this one internal cycle, which a lot of people have probably heard of called the circadian rhythm. So this is our 24 hour clock. It influences our melatonin and our cortisol hormones for both male and females. Um, you know, thanks to the sun and the moon and, you know, natural light and natural darkness. Um, and for men, too, the circadian rhythm, not only does it dictate their melatonin and their cortisol, but it also dictates their testosterone, which is their main sex hormone. And so this is where we start to differ. Um, so whereas men, you know, they create the bulk of their testosterone while they're sleeping, most specifically between the hours of 10 p.m. and 5 a.m. Um, so it's like they, get, they just kind of keep cycling. You know, they get all of their main sex hormone overnight while they're sleeping, Um, so for any men listening to this or any women who are listening to it, who have a male partner, make sure that they emphasize sleep as well. It's just as important for them. Um, but then they just wake up and, you know, that's why like a lot of guys too, it's like the morning sex and, you know, like they have all this energy in the morning. Um, and then towards the end of the day, when they're more tired, it's, it's harder to have sex. It's harder to get aroused. Um, and so for women, we have a second biological clock and this is for women, um, menstruators, I like to say, because not all women menstruate, not all menstruators are women, um, But during our reproductive years, menstruators, um, those who have menstrual cycles and periods, we have a second uh, biological clock. It's called the infradian rhythm, which is really cool. And this for us, um, you know, this governs our mood, our creativity, our metabolism, our energy, which aka our thyroid, our sex drive, um, our resting cortisol rate, our social ability, et cetera. Like, so, you know, it really just governs so much more other than like it also it does impact our sleep as well. Um, there are definitely certain times of our cycle where it's easier to fall asleep than you know other times. Um, but for the most part, it's the circadian rhythm that really governs our our sleep and our wake, our cortisol, and our melatonin, and then outside of that, everything else. So again, our, our moods and our our cravings for foods and our brain changes even by about 25% through our menstrual cycle. So that's where we really differ. I mean, we're different human beings. Our brains are so incredibly different. It's like, we we may as well just be different species. Um, so, you know, when it comes to, and this is just like a little side note I'm going to throw in, but when it comes to nutrition and it comes to exercise and just how we structure our lives in terms of business and social, we should expect it to be different, you know? Um, And so again, that's, you know, where my passion comes in because like, you know, so many of still to this day, like 80% of, you know, the research studies are done on men. And it's like, we're so different.
0: Oh my God. So it just goes to show that our born bodies between a male's born, born body and a female's born body are so different. Now let's talk about the difference between, I guess, the male fertility and the female fertility. Because when we look at the two, I think it's really important for us to understand that males' responsibility versus the female responsibility is different because our entire endocrine system works differently, right?
1: Totally, and I'm I'm gonna kind of like I'm smiling about this one right now because I actually for everyone listening, um, my partner is very close to me. But when it comes to male's responsibility, as in
0: like physically close to you, standing right now, you know he's like
1: physically (laughs) close to me. He's he's looking at me right now. Hi. Um, So you know when it comes to male's responsibility, I it's it's equally their responsibility, if not more, Um, because you know of course this is generally speaking, there are infertility issues for men as well, which we can talk about about actually one third of infertility within the U S is actually male, ba- uh, male induced. And then one third is, um, on the female. And then one third is actually both, both are having fertility issues, but generally speaking, they are fertile 24 seven. Um, and you know, women, we have our fertile window, which I'm sure you've probably gotten into this in other podcast episodes, talking about like cycle syncing and the different phases, but you know, we have that, uh, that fertile window of like five to six days where, you know, we are fertile, our cervical fluid changes, um, you know, the pH of our vagina ch- changes, you know, there's all those things that go into that. I don't have to go too deep into that, but we have a fertile window. We're not fertile all the time throughout our cycle. So when it comes to responsibility, I think a hundred percent, like it's, it's more so on the male because they are fertile uh, majority Every
0: of the day. Time.
1: every single day and also
0: every orgasm know, is fertile
1: exactly, exactly like every female orgasm is not fertile but every male orgasm again generally speaking is fertile and I one of my favorite like analogies is like uh, you know this isn't word for word but basically if there's one island and you have one woman and 90 men, over the course of nine to 10 months, there's only the opportunity for one pregnancy. However, roles are reversed. If there were 99 women on an Island in one male, you have the opportunity over the course of those next nine to 10 months to, um, have 99 pregnancies. So, you know, just, it's just a way of saying like men, they're very fertile beings. They want to go and sprinkle their seeds everywhere. When we're talking, when we're going back to like primal ways <laughs> and primal, you know, just uh, it's very habitual, um, and you know, women we're, were not all the time. So um, I think it's you know equally, if not more, male's responsibility to take on birth control. However, we all know that it has historically fallen on women. I would love to read some text as to why that is. You haven't found it. If anyone does know some historical text, which wherever it started to shift, I would love to know why it's mostly on women. Um, you know, I mean, in my mind, I, I tend more towards like, maybe because we're actually carrying the child and we have such a big part, you know, in the creation and like the birthing of the human being that, you know, maybe that's why it falls more on us. It still doesn't make quite sense, but um, you know, that's a whole other episode we could have on just how incredible we are and how incredible our bodies are that we create a human inside of us and then push it out. <laughs> but um, Yes. So, you know, in women, we used to be much more in tune. This I do have text on and, you know, awesome historical text and even medical literature that, that said that women used to be way more in tune with their cycle and actually more connected to the moon. So I don't know if you've talked about like white versus red moon bleeders on your podcast. Um, have you?
0: I haven't. I don't think I've talked about it on the podcast, but I do talk about it in depth in yeah. my program and teach on it. So yeah, yeah like so I'm, I'm a- Because I think it's important to to recognize that how we treat our body today cyclically is very different to how we once used to treat our body. Like what you were just saying, and I think that um, before you talk about the white and the red moon cycle, which are so amazing and I love to, but when you think of you know the male's responsibility and the female's responsibility, I feel like. It's the woman's responsibility to know when she's ovulating or when she's fertile. It's the male's responsibility to ask the question and connect with the woman to find out when she's fertile. And I think that penises don't fly into vaginas. You kind of have to put them there. And so before a penis flies into your vagina, it's really good to have the conversation about like, hey, where are you in your cycle? And is this a fertile time or an infertile time? And generally, I always um, have found with working in with as a natural fertility educator that most Males know where that their, uh, their woman's cervix is, especially if that's the same woman they're consistently having sex with. They know, geez, babe, your cervix is so low today. Like I can feel that thing, or like, wow, like so much space in your vagina today. Mm-hmm. And I think that if we had those conversations normally in relation heterosexual relationships, it would open up the pathway for natural conversation around contraceptions, especially if you're f- choosing a, a natural form of contraception. But you know, maybe because the men are outputted and they're directional and erect in their life, maybe that's, you know, they're passing on the the button of responsibility. But I think you have like a really good point that, well, the woman grows the, the baby and it's the woman's responsibility for, you know, breastfeeding. And it's the woman's you know responsibility for having a healthy pregnancy I think that therefore why don't we just put the other responsibility on the woman too but I think that can be completely rewritten anyway tell us about the white moon red moon
1: yes and I just I wanted to say I really loved what you said about you know it's the you said it's the woman's responsibility to track her cycle to be in tune with her body and it's the male's responsibility to um to also know though you know to to whether it's holding her accountable or however you want to call it, but to also be like, are you in tune with your body right now? And where are you at right now? Um, You know, I'm not just gonna, like you said, penises don't just like fly into vaginas. So like, before you have sex, let's have the conversation. What phase are you in right now? Um, You know, I think it's, it's so great, not just for preventing pregnancy, but also building that bond between the two. And it's like, oh, you care you care about where I'm at in my cycle. And, you know, let's have this very open, honest conversation. Um, so the white moon bleeders are, uh, white moon bleeders, they bleed on the new moon and they ovulate on the full moon. And then, which is typically a little bit more common than red moon, which is just the exact opposite. So red moon bleeders, they actually bleed, they have their period on or around the full moon, and then they're ovulating on the new moon. So they would be ovulating about right now for us, and here in Austin, Texas, it's our full, um, our new moon. Excuse me. Um, but it very, it used to be much more ritualized as well. Women would come together around the uh, full moon, and they would do, you know, intention setting, and they would release what was, whatever was not serving them. So, you know, our, our periods and the moon cycles they used to be very interrelated, um, closely connected, and it was all ritualized. It was seen as beautiful. It was seen as powerful. And then, you know, the patriarchy took over and now it's taboo. <laughs> now we can't talk about it. Um, even though, you know, we're all here on this earth, walking around and having jobs and doing, you know, what we do on a daily basis because of a woman having had ovulated and had a, having a period and a menstrual cycle. And, you know, one of the ovulations actually fertilizing an egg. So, um, Yeah, that's a, you know, in terms of the male responsibility, I love, you know, what we both just said there. It's, you know, it should be two ways. And unfortunately, that's not the case. You know, I don't. I don't know about you, but I feel like I have so many questions in my inbox on Instagram and even women who I see in my private practice who are like, how do I even have this conversation with my partner? And so, you know, it's it doesn't make the partner a bad person just as long as they're, you know, not shutting down the conversation when it, you know, opens up. I understand that all of us, we are raised in a very similar society where a lot of this is so taboo. Uh, we have terrible sex education in school. Um, you know, the it's like so... Um, it's like a very uh, popular thing, uncomfortable talk called Birds and the Bees over here, uh, where it's like, you know, your parents are having this uncomfortable conversation with you about how a baby's made and, you know, really like love making. is It's so much more than just making it a child. And, uh, you know, there's so much that goes into it as well. It's not just like bleed or not bleed. It's not pill or you know you're just pregnant um so there's so much more that goes into it and that's why you and I both do what we do because it's also really cool and not only is it important to know for both genders for all genders but it's also really flippant cool it's it's cool how the whole um you know procreation
0: happens how it happens It's, it's really cool it's completely fascinating let's be honest and I love what you just mentioned like excuse the language but like what the fuck does birds and the bees even have to like have anything to do with menstruating? Do bees and birds
1: fuck? I'm
0: confused. (laughs) (laughs) Like how does this work? Like we're really just confusing kids from the get go. Um, Now I just (laughs) wanted to add in to Mads that if you are a male listening to this and you're a heterosexual, is that I think something that you could do that would be really supportive is to reach out to your female partner or maybe a partner in the future, or even chat to a sister or a friend who's a female and ask them about their cycle. Say, Hey babe, what day of you are you on? Um, I was listening to this podcast today uses as a segue, you know, where they were talking about, you know, male and male contraception. And, you know, I wanted to learn about your cycle a little bit more. Like how much do you know about your cycle? I think, it takes true to have the conversation too. So, you know, just ask a question. Someone's got to break the ice now. Right.
1: And I, I, I do just want to add to that. I, um, I, there's an app that I'm not quite sure. I, I don't use it anymore, but you know, when I first started to get into, into this, I think it's called, it was in the flow. It was one of those bigger apps for tracking your cycle where you could actually have your partner, um, opt in for email updates. I'm um, like, Hey, like it would be like like. every Sunday, like, Hey, you know, blah blah blah. Your partner (laughs) Maddie is in, you know, her follicular phase, so this is how she's maybe feeling this week. Um, this is like a date idea that you guys could do. This is how you can support her. Um, you know, especially for like the luteal phase, like hey, if she's more tired, she doesn't want to, she's not that you know into sex, like just cuddle her, don't take it personally, cuddle her, um, you know, do whatever. Form of non-penetrative sex that you guys love to do whether it's cuddling it's you know taking a shower or bath together so it was really great insights I'll have to double check for you so you can put it in the show notes but I think it was in the flow that did that
0: interesting I think that you know we could definitely do with a lot more availability like that out there mm-hmm. um, but let's talk about sperm health quickly before we dive into I guess male birth control but how important is sperm health? And what are the chances? And if you know anything about this, and if you don't, let me know. But what are the chances of men having unhealthy sperm? Because I feel that the patriarchy is very much positioned males to be like, I am strong and I have strong swimmers and I like my partner's like, babe, I'm a fucking Jedi. <laughs> I was mm-hmm. like, okay, you keep telling yourself that. But um, you know, that mentality mm-hmm. of that, you know frat house, strong, dominant male that's always got healthy sperm. And this is totally your fault while we're not conceiving right now. Yeah. Um, how important is sperm health? And yeah, how I guess that's the wrap up of the question. How important is sperm health?
1: Incredibly important. So um, you know, like I said before, and you know, couples who are trying to conceive infertility, again, one one third of infertility cases are on the male. And then another third of that is on the both male and the female. So, um, you know, it's incredibly important that men are doing everything that they can to optimize sperm as well. So just like how, you know, for women, you know, hopping off, of you know, stopping hormonal contraceptive, getting more in tune with our cycle, having healthy, um, regular ovulations, and periods so healthy for us, you know, and to do everything else, you know, in terms of sleep and nutrition and herbal medicine and supplementation to optimize um, egg quality, to optimize, you know, overall health and longevity, it's also important and it's equally as important for men just because, you know, they don't ovulate or have periods. It doesn't mean that like everything else that is going on in the world in terms of overexposure to blue light, overexposure to toxins, um, And just overall stress and, you know, just the the stress in so many different forms that we, stress is such a general term, I know, but, you know, all these different forms of stress that we all experience, it it equally impacts men as well. Um, I will say their endocrine systems are not as delicate as our um, endocrine systems are, you know, in in so many different ways, right? But um, just because they're different, but they are still sensitive. It's not like, you know, men aren't experiencing infertility. They are. And a complete lack of sperm as well occurs in about like 10 to 15% of men who are infertile. And so, um, wow. you know. That's a yeah. lot.
0: Like, can you just say that again? Because that's yeah. that's a, a lot.
1: I know a complete lack of sperm occurs in about 10 to 15% of men who are infertile. Um, that is
0: like one in 10, like yeah. 12, like that's a lot yeah. of people. And
1: also, you know, like the kind of crappy and annoying thing is I feel like I say this all the time with like, A lot of studies but they still say that like 50 percent of the cases of male infertility are like still undetermined but it's like it's because we live in a very toxic world and we're not doing things to support you know our bodies like i mean even something as simple as like having your laptop um on your lap reduces sperm count reduces
0: even your mobile phone in your pocket which is right near your balls boys Rotten exactly.
1: <laughs> and we're literally like set up for failure in that way in many ways, because, you know, of our, the position of our pockets on our pants, you know, they're right there. And so you slip your phone into there, or even you have like a purse, you know, you have like a fanny pack or, you know, a side purse and it's, it's, right by your breast, which has been linked to breast cancer. Um, It's right by our reproductive tracts, which impacts our ovaries. So there's so many things that impact us all. Um, So, yeah, to answer your question, it's incredibly important.
0: I have to interrupt this episode to let you know that today is sponsored by my Reset Your Cycle Masterclass Series. This is a three-part live class series to transform your menstrual cycle knowledge and increase cycle confidence. Throughout three live classes, you'll discover understanding your cycle hormones, what they are, how they change throughout the four phases of your monthly cycle, and how they contribute to how you feel you also discover cycle disruptors and what you can do, those things that make you feel a little bit out of whack through your cycle off balance and impact your moods along with your hormones. And then we cover your cycle and natural contraception, gain a better understanding of contraception, the good, the confusing, and how to choose a contraceptive method that serves you and your health goals. Head over to Wellsome.com forward slash shop to learn more. That's welsom forward slash shop and use the code cycle love to save 20% off.
1: A little side note, that's really cool. So our cervical fluid, as you know, changes throughout the month and it does so to help the pH of our vagina stay because the pH of our vagina changes throughout the month outside of the fertile window, it's hospitable for sperm to survive in. It also acts as like a plug for our um, cervix. But another cool thing that it does, which is not talked about a lot, is it actually weeds out the bad sperm. So when you're, you know, if you're in your fertile phase and, you know, you have unprotected sex and, you know, our bodies, which primarily just want to like, let's procreate, let's procreate, um, it's going to, the cervical fluid is going to act as like an Uber ride for that sperm. And while doing that, while transporting it to where it needs to go, it's going to weed out the bad sperm that it detects as like, oh, you may have some bad DNA that could potentially produce some um, offspring that also has, you know, uh, I'm, I'm forgetting, I can't think of the word in English right now, but does not, uh, you know, optimal DNA genes. Um, I get it, so-
0: I get it. It's like, you are not, The chosen one because there could be a challenge with you
1: (laughs) yeah and isn't that funny too because there's like this narrative too of like it's all the men it's like our sperm that fertilizes the egg and it's like but we're actually choosing literally something as simple as the fluid inside of our vagina is choosing which of you sperm get to fertilize the egg (laughs) so it's super cool but it's so cool i was like I found that out not too long ago either within like the last year i was like
0: i didn't know that the fluid did that too it weeds out the bad sperm how does it know it's just so cool (laughs) it's the same reason like how does the mother's nipple know that the baby is going to bed soon and it needs melatonin in the breast milk like the body is so fascinating and what you just mentioned Mads it makes me think about okay so that's just cervical mucus dealing with sperm but let's talk about the vagina dealing with a cock because the women who experience, and we've had a whole episode on BV, like bacterial vaginosis, and you know infection. Mm-hmm. But just a reminder that if you're a male listening to this and you have sex with a woman and she's always having like BV or some kind of yeast infection, I'm like, maybe that's not the yoni for your penis, or maybe that's not the penis for your yoni. And so I think that you know the body is so intelligent; it will select what it wants and what it doesn't want mm-hmm. so uniquely. And the topic of okay. So what actually comes first? Does the sperm choose the egg? Well, there's only one egg. So is it the fastest sperm or is it the egg choosing the sperm? And I yeah, know it's and- like always the, de- the debate, um, but what is it that you know about that topic before we talk about male birth control?
1: Yeah. Well, even before that, like I said, it's, it's the cervical fluid that is like even it's a leptine. Like what is even worthy? of like, you know, of the egg. Yeah. <laughs> like what is it? Um so yeah, I know that is that is like an interesting debate like a uh, topic for sure, but I mean, again, with the cervical fluid and like that job that it does beforehand, I think a lot of people because people do have different like opinions on that, um they also don't know what the cervical fluid does, like what its role is in like actually weeding out the bed. Does that make sense? Like yeah. like I said, it's something that I even just learned within the last year. And I was like, oh, that changes a lot of things I've read then, you know? Like if if it does that, then how much – then what does happen first? Does the egg elect it or does the sperm, you know? So I honestly am not very clear on that myself. Um, I – yeah, I'm not very clear on that one. But I can yeah. – i i can give you my hypothesis
0: (laughs) well (laughs) i believe believe the egg chooses a sperm
1: i believe the egg chooses sperm
0: as well yeah go go team females (laughs) 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 okay awesome let's talk about the topic of um how does male birth control work
1: yeah so um is male
0: birth control real like can males have a choice in their birth control options like
1: yeah Interesting stat, about 83% of men in the U.S. have reported that they would actually, uh, and I think this is hilarious. So they said that they would actually take on the responsibility of um, hormonal birth control. And then you look at some studies that have been run, which have not been a lot. And I really had to do some digging back in like, the day when I was looking into this. Um, and so, well, first, first I'll just explain before I even get into the studies. I'll first explain like, what would male hormonal birth control need to do. Um, because we know that hormonal birth control for for menstruators, for women, it shuts off our ovaries and prevents ovulation from occurring. And then there are newer forms of like IUDs that also, you know, they act in slightly different ways, but I'm talking about like hormonal birth control right now. So, you know, it shuts off our ovaries. So if we're not ovulating, pregnancy cannot occur. Um, so for male birth control, if you think about it, you're like, okay, well, we would need to slow or stop the creation and formation of sperm. And we need to stop sperm from leaving the body. Or So these are different things that it would need to do. So it would need to do that. Number one, what I said, it would need to or stop sperm from leaving the body or slow the sperm to keep them from reaching their destination of the egg. Um, or keep sperm from fertilizing the egg possibly through, again, you know, this would be where like a non-hormonal drug comes in. Um, so I definitely had to do some research. Like, you know, this was like a year and a half ago when I was looking more into like male forms of birth control. And it was so hard. I mean, not many trials have been done and the ones that were done resulted in men like experiencing discomfort and PMS and low libido, acne, weight gain, things that, you know, women experience all the time, um, because of hormonal contraceptive, but because of that, the, you know, they never passed trials. So not a big shocker there. Um, but you know, most have been injectables that have been tried, um, because it's funny. I was, I was reading up on another research study the other day, and it was like, we tried an injectable because air quote, pills have an effect on the liver. And I was like, yes, we know that pills have an effect on the liver, but why is it okay then for women, you know? Um so it's funny. I was like, yeah, you do have that right. All these medications are really impacting our livers, um, you know, Advil included, but again, like why was it like oh, it impacts the liver, so we can't test that on men, you know? Um but anyway, so I may butcher the pron- pronunciation of this, but gasipol, gasipol. Have you heard of this?
0: Sounds correct, your pronunciation. Okay.
1: Gossipole. So that's a cotton extract, and it made it into the first clinically tried contraceptive pill for men. So I'm going to give you some stats here. I hope this isn't boring for anyone, but a daily dose of 20 milligrams of Gossipol was given successively for 60 days, which caused sperm to become immotile and reduced in number or just totally absent at all. Um, and and this is all natural. I mean, like I said, it's a, it's a cotton extract. So it's all natural. But basically
0: it's just slowing down the activity of the sperm, making yeah, them so kind of like some, drunk.
1: For some, <laughs> yeah, yeah. For some men in the trial, it slowed it down. For some, it reduced their sperm count, and for some, it just completely like made sperm totally absent. Um, and a sperm count below four million per milliliter um, of semen is considered to uh, indicate infertility. So that's just like a little like indicator right there. So anything below below four million milliliters per semen. Um, and the dosage in the second stage, so they they did different stages of this trial, but the dosage in the second stage, which was the maintenance period, was reduced to just one third of their original dose to maintain infertility. Um, and so the volunteers are followed up every two to three months. And again, what did they start to experience fatigue decrease in libido, which for anyone listening, who's like, what the heck is libido? It's just your sex drive. And um, also impaired appetite was reported. Uh, Those were like the three main complaints. So the fatigue, the libido, and then the decreased appetite. So, uh, you know, I mean, I kind of searched around. I was like, can people, can guys just buy this? And I, there was no, like, there's nothing like packaged and like patented and market, uh, like on the market right now. Um, You know, maybe if you're an herbalist or no one, you could like find, you know, some type of like homeopathic uh remedy of this and apparently the effects are supposed to be reversible after three months again this hasn't been like tested and tried enough so you know for anyone listening to this like don't just go get a gossip and be like maddie said it'll be reversible after three months i don't know (laughs) that's the thing with hormonal birth control too is like some women stop the pill and within six months maybe even less everything's normal and they have their cycle back and for some women it completely throws off their entire reproductive system, um, and does some major damage to the reproductive system, to the gut. You know, some women, there's been studies shown that, uh, it really reduces our, um, our sex drive. And it can even like, even once you stop hormonal contraceptive, it can like I know this sounds so negative, but it can permanently ruin our sex drive moving forward throughout the rest of our life. We never get back to those optimal levels that we had pre-hormonal contraceptive. Um, so yeah, like like I said, not heard about this very much. I had to do some major digging for the gossip poll. So definitely not patented. I assume it's because it's all natural and therefore pharmaceuticals companies cannot like, you know, they can't patent it or profit claim it. it. Yeah. yeah, and then of course because the men were uncomfortable, so you know, God forbid, men are uncomfortable. We need to make sure that you know their little penises are okay.
0: <laughs> their little penises. Oh, little it. penises. Um, I think it's just important to recognize that anything that stops the natural nature of the body is going to stop something in the body, and you know, it's even just like putting implants and your breasts you know your body's not used to that and so your body's going to want to do something to protect itself and it's the same for men as it is for females so i think it's important to just look at you know it's equal responsibility for male and females when it comes to this topic um so let's talk about um when it comes to males wanting to learn a little bit more about their own responsibility with contraception for themselves whether they're wanting to avoid or achieve pregnancy so we're just focusing on the males now forgetting about the females what would you recommend to um, a male who's a heterosexual listening to this who's like look i really want to be sexually active but i don't want to conceive a child that's not my goal at the moment what would you recommend
1: yeah so there are a couple different options um there is the fertility awareness method which i think is the coolest, especially if like you're in a partnership with someone um, to both be in that journey together of tracking the menstrual cycle, um, you know, because outside of just sex, you know, just to understand and get like, I think it's the most valuable data that we can have on ourselves for ourselves, for our partners to just know and understand how we're going to be flowing um, on a daily basis. And again, it just, it cultivates more self-love, self-acceptance, understanding as well as like oh I understand why you're a little bit more tired today and you kind of just want to be independent you know I, I hate to say like moody and stuff you know because it has such a negative connotation but you're not you have a low tolerance for bullshit that's that's what I like to say is that like you have a low tolerance for bullshit I'm you know going to acknowledge that and respect that. So the fertility awareness method is so beneficial when it comes to natural pregnancy prevention, but also just a, a really cool thing. So that's my number one. That's my number one go-to. Um, it's what I do personally in conjunction with condoms. We've like all forgotten about condoms again, because like, you know, I, I remember even as a vulva owner, you know, until my like recent partner, which, you know, we're so, so open about all of this and it's been so incredible but I remember like in my younger years especially in like undergrad with my partners being like oh but they don't and I was on hormonal birth control at the time so like you know I had that like false sense of security that like oh, it's okay like I'm not gonna get pregnant which you can still get pregnant on hormonal birth control everyone uh my mom did two times so just but anyway, as much
0: as you can still get pregnant whether you have an IUD or not too
1: exactly yeah so yeah. it's nothing is 100% effective. Aside from abstinence, complete abstinence, you're not, not going to get pregnant off of that. But you know, any other what method, it's all user, you know, error. Also, some especially with like, so that's the other thing. Like a little side note, I would rather do something like fertility awareness method, because in my world, it actually is more effective because it's only as effective as I make it. Whereas when you're taking something foreign, whether it's uh, an IUD, an implant, something foreign in your body or a medication like hormonal birth control, you're also depending on that doing its job correctly. And there have been many lawsuits. Again, it's not like all over the media because this stuff isn't like, you know, does not make headlines, but there have been many lawsuits there. A major form of birth control was just taken off the market within the last few months because so many women were getting pregnant on it. Um, so just, you know, a reminder, a a very kind, loving reminder to like, never, you know, like, I hope no one thinks that that's their only option because there are so many other options. Um, but con- yeah, the fertility awareness method in conjunction with condoms while you're in that fertile window, um, like if you want to be the most safe possible, just wear condoms for an entire week around when you could potentially be ovulating. Um, and then that still gives you three weeks, though, on average of unprotected sex. And, uh, you know, there's the withdrawal method as well, where he does not finish inside of you. Um, uh, many people ask me, like, well, what about pre cum? Does that have sperm in it? And, you know, and it's again, studies inconclusive. They're like, well, some pre cum does have a sperm in it and some doesn't. So, you know, it's like, it's something, again, like we just don't know for sure. Um,
0: there are some actually really good studies about that. I know when I studied natural fertility awareness, on pre-cum there was a particular study that found out of i think it was around 90 to 120 males 34 percent of those those with pre-cum had fertile sperm in them
1: gotcha and
0: yeah that's so still, it,
1: that's still a pretty big number in in my book that like 34 i think it's a big, big
0: number especially if you're in your fertile window and so i think that the most important thing and like sorry to take over a little bit here, oh, no, and I think it's really important to have communication. I think that comes Mm -hmm. first. Like if you don't have communication around these topics, then you're going to block something out. But on top of that, I think it's also really important to recognize that, okay, you need to have a mutual goal. Like you need to talk to the person you're having sex with. Okay, what is the goal here? Are we achieving or are we avoiding? And if you're avoiding, you need to put the places in step to avoid. And if you're achieving, you need to put the places in step to achieve. And I think that if you are with a partner who's non-supportive of this particular process, then- you know, I'd be exploring the values in your relationship.
1: 100%. And also <clears throat> I made this point the other day on a podcast, like everyone's risk is different, right? Like, you know, totally. a 18 year old in college who, whether it's a, a, a boyfriend that she's been with for a little while, or it's just, you know, something very casual is, has much more risk. Like if she gets pregnant, that's going to be very, very life altering. <clears throat> um, whereas, you know, even someone my age, you know, Still life altering, it's doable, you know, like it's not the end of the world. And with someone who I love, we both have, you know, we both have financial support, emotional support from our families, like we, we would be fine, you know. And then versus someone who's been married for a couple of years, maybe they still don't want to get pregnant, but like much different. They're with their life partner, they're married, they, you know, they're very grounded financially, emotionally. Um, They may not want a child, but at least like their risk is so much lower in terms of like, if they were to get pregnant, would not be the end of the world. So everyone has to weigh out, you know, like the pros and cons of like, if this were to happen, because there's always that risk when you're having, you know, penetrative sex um, that, you know, we, we very well could conceive. Um, if we're in our fertile window or, you know, I don't know when I'm fertile. So, you know, if we're going to kind of be reckless and have unprotected sex, knowing that 34% of pre-cum is fertile, uh, which is wild. Again, thank you for educating me on that. Cause I didn't know it was that high, you know, that it was a, oh, it's yeah.
0: a European study. So oh, okay. I feel like also, you know, that would also be a lot lower if males were generally unhealthier.
1: Yeah. So which in to the add US, like yeah. an. Um,
0: Like, right, if you looked at an unhealthier demographic and you took them and had the study, then naturally it's going to be a lot lower because naturally sperm health is going to be lower. Whereas if you took a demographic which was really passionate about their health, then actually it's going to be higher. So I think it's just important to just know that. 100%.
1: Yeah. Very, very important. Um, So that's where like condoms come in though, like outside or inside your fertile window to use condoms. There's male condoms. There are also female condoms. Um, And then there's, you know, uh, sterilization for both female and male. Um, And for males, that would be a vasectomy. And, uh, so that's always an option. Again, my go-to is still the fertility awareness method. It's something very unnatural to the body, unless, uh, you know, it's everyone's personal decision. But if a guy's like, I have literally no interest in ever having children. I know that for sure. Um, or maybe they've already had all their children and they're like, I'm done. Uh, then they can go about and do that. If that seems like the best decision for them. And then lastly, I did want to mention, there are some brands that are all, you know, own, it's all... Pharmaceuticals, but they are like non-hormonal. Like, have you heard of Fexy? It's like this contraceptive gel that All changes. Right. I actually like went through the process because I had I didn't even hear of them, and then someone reached out to me asking, "Hey, Maddie, like, have you heard of Fexy? What are your thoughts on them?" I looked into it. I was like, "Oh, this is owned by the pharmaceutical industry, but it's uh, it's a contraceptive gel that you. It's like a syringe that you insert into your vagina for up, up to an hour before intercourse." And the gel is supposed to change the pH of your vagina, making it hospitable for sperm. And so in order to, like, get a, air quote, prescription of this, you have to, like, have a, again, air quote, consult with one of their physicians. And so I went through the whole process, actually, so I could speak on it. And, uh, I mean, it's literally, it's all so modern. So it's, like, a five-minute text conversation with one of their physicians, which very well may be a robot. And um, they basically just tell you what, like, the potential side effects are, which they do not tell you all of the side effects. I had to like search on their website for all of the side effects that most of which I already knew, you know, when you're altering the pH of your vaginal microbiome, you can expect that there are going to be some consequences with that. Um, totally. and, but anyway, so I'm kind of going back and forth with him. Cause he's like, you can use this all throughout your, uh, like anytime you have sex. And I was like, well, why would you need to use it all throughout your cycle? If you're only fertile for a certain window, he's like, well, you can use it during the fertile time and during your period. And I was like, why Wait, why did those just... two yeah like there they, did you know that there's space in between that as well um so it was just it was kind of comical cuz i was like oh my gosh like we have so much work to do um and again i think it's just like the like the pharmaceutical, like the big guys are seeing that like women are starting to take charge and starting to question what it is that they're putting inside their bodies.
0: And And they're going to question something they put in their vagina. That's going to change the pH level.
1: (laughs) Right. But they're but it's all marketing, you know, like the marketing actually makes it seem like it's like, it's not harmful, you know, like that it's, it's not full of these chemicals that alter the pH of your vagina. That also is like, it just doesn't seem at all safe to me in and, and any way. But um, you know, it's it's all marketing for sure because you look at it and you're like, oh wait, this kind of looks cute too. And like, you know, it seems super easy. Like all you have to do is insert it into your vagina, especially because again, like, you know, the the hype right now is oh my gosh, hormonal birth control. This is really, really bad for us. And you know, educating on that. And so I think that they're picking up on that and they're seeing that and they're trying to, you know, Maybe I'm just thinking too negatively and I'm like, their intentions are still bad um, it's <laughs> to make a buck and, you know, whatever. But it's like, I, I just wish that that time and that money, oh, so much money that probably went into making something like Fexy. Why couldn't we spend that on better sex ed, uh, programs. Also more research for PCOS or endometriosis are these major endocrine, um, dysfunctions and even cancers like endometrial cancer and ovarian cancer and breast cancer, like all these things. Like, I just wish that there was so much more dedicated financially and, you know, in terms of like energy and time towards those things, because you know, over 80% of menstruators report experiencing signs uh, and symptoms of hormone imbalances and PMS, and we're still not addressing that. You know, we're trying to make things like FEXI, which are only going to make, create other problems. Um, so, like BB, for example, you know, and yeast infections and UTIs. And so, I think in some ways, yes, it's a step towards the right direction because it's non hormonal. But again, then you just think of like the, the emotional trauma that it also has on women to continually have yeast infections. And just again, messing with the microbiome of our vagina. uh, It's just, it's not good in the short term or the long term. So we're trying, I think, I hope, um, you know, eventually I hope it's just like, whatever it's full on. Like we have way better sex education, you know, from a very young early age and all of these topics aren't taboo and there are more programs and like a requirement to learn how to track your cycle. Like how cool would that be? I, I would have loved Hardly. that.
0: You
1: know, I, it's, it, I would have also loved to, I, you know, not to get into my story. Um, Cause I know that we have to close up, but I never got my period when I was younger because I had anorexia. So I never, you know, I, my puberty was totally halted. I, I never had a period. And then I hopped on hormonal birth control. So I never really had a full menstrual cycle until I was in my twenties, which is crazy. Um, and, you know, it was never expressed to me how dangerous that could be for both my short and my long-term health. And, you know, just like my, the health of my bones and, you know, my brain and my eyes and so many things. Um, but I would have loved to, so I, that being said, I didn't have a period. I didn't have that experience of like hiding the tampons in my, you know, shirt and in my sweatshirt. Like I saw a lot of my girlfriends doing growing up though. And it was really sad. And it definitely installs this narrative in us that, you know, like there's something wrong kind of with our gender and that we have this disgusting period. And I see it with my younger cousins as well, who are, you know, they're much younger than I am. They're eight and 12 years old and you know the whole topic of sex ed that they're starting to go through in school and like their periods it disgusts them and it makes me super sad so I was like oh we are gonna fix this
0: <laughs> I love yeah.
1: it, I, Maddie. Love it.
0: <laughs> I think there's a lot that can be rewritten when it does come to education but I I also do believe when it comes to the younger education I've got a number of podcast episodes on this too with experts in in that particular younger generation for teens and tweens field that it's not the school's responsibility it's the parents responsibility but it's also not the parents fault that they don't know because they weren't taught either and so I think that we need a collective you know, upgrade when it comes to information for schools and for parents and for guardians and for aunties and uncles, you know, for the whole community, really. Um, so, yeah, I think when we come back to the topic of today's episode around male health for fertility and male's responsibility with fertility and birth control is that anything that's foreign is going to make a little bit of a hesitant change in your body in some way, shape or form. So explore that. And it takes two to the tango. So open up communication and explore that conversation with everyone. So, Maddie, thank you so much for joining us on the show. Um, I do have a final podcast question for you. But quickly, because um, we, we are almost out of time, what is the best platform for everyone to find you on? And what is that handle for that platform?
1: Yeah, so everyone can go find me over at The Maddie Miles. Um, Just, yeah, literally my name. (laughs) And then from there, there are links to the Peace Love Hormones website, the Peace Love Hormones Instagram. um, And I love connecting with people. So for everyone listening, please, like, whether it's sending me a message or just sharing that you listened to this podcast episode, I just love, it's like the best part of what I do is actually like the human interaction part of it. So that's where everyone can find me
0: amazing well I'll of course put all those links in the show notes so final podcast question I want you to think back to your younger menstruating self so when you did go through your first menstrual experience and menarche and I want you to share with us what are three things that you wish you knew then that you now know today about your cycle and your period
1: I wish um I wish that I knew it was a superpower and that it's actually wildly healthy and necessary for our health, um, both in the short term and the long term. especially when it comes to, you know, uh, a a normal healthy onset of menopause and having a healthy menopause as well. I wish I knew that. I also wish I knew that we weren't fertile all the time. I I remember someone in uh, high school, actually a rumor was going around that you could get pregnant by being in a hot tub with a guy. Uh, so just very, you know, like false stories of like how, pregnancy and all that stuff works I wish I knew that more and yeah I I think those those are the two that I wish the most and just like how to track our cycle you know that's really what I was getting at with like just I wish that it was taught to us how powerful it was and how to actually track it and that you know I could have been synced up with the moon from an early age
0: totally oh all things i knew i wish i, I learned as well um, but maddie i've loved having you on the show thank you so much for sharing all of your wisdom with us um, and talking about a topic that's specifically very unspoken about when it comes to males health and general natural contraceptive discussion so thank you so much um, for everyone listening make sure you go over and say hi to maddie over on instagram um, all the links including the links to her product and the podcast will be in the show notes so Mads, thanks for joining us thank you Thank you so much for tuning in to every episode of The Well Women Podcast. I trust you enjoyed this episode as much as we did. If you got a lot out of it too, please subscribe and leave a five-star review on iTunes or your podcast app. This means together we can inspire, connect, and educate even more women. Now, is there a bestie, a sister, or a friend who you know may be frustrated and confused with their health? Are they ready to discover new aspects of themselves too? Well, take a screenshot of this podcast episode share it on your social media, email it, text it, or any way you need to get it to their ears. So together we can all live in flow, harmony and balance with our bodies. And be sure to tag me in it too, hashtag WellWomenPodcast. For everything we mentioned in today's episode, you can find this in the show notes over at wellsome.com forward slash podcast. Until next time, beautiful, get connected, listen to your body and remember, body confidence all begins with living in tune with your menstrual cycle.